Here we go. You are listening to Open Mic Friday Law and Gospel. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and we're only too happy to respond to questions that you are emailing to me at lawandgospel at lawandgospel101.com. Today is January the 29th in the year of our Lord, 2021. And so the first one, belated Happy New Year, Pastor Baker. Please allow me to share with you a couple of postscript comments about your Rumination Thursdays program with you and Pastor Reimnitz about knowing God. Another example is John 3.16. That came to mind what you often say about it. We can intellectually read or recite these words and believe John 3.16 to be factually true, historic faith, as Pastor Reimnitz pointed out today. But that doesn't mean we know God the Father and Jesus as our Savior unless we believe everything was done personally for us, for me. That's saving faith. Maybe this and all the other examples you both cited on your program could be summarized in this way. Knowing God is not just intellectual knowledge, but having a personal faith relationship with our Father and our Savior, Jesus Christ, by means of the Holy Spirit's work through knowledge of God's Word. We parents and grandparents pray that the transference from intellectual knowledge of the Trinity to a personal faith relationship with God centers on Jesus, happens with our children and grandchildren as we share God's love and word with them and also convey to them our own personal passion for our Lord, verbally and or through our actions. Thank you for the significant role you have played in my life in the past 15 or more years, because not only your knowledge of God's word but also your passion for the Lord have greatly impacted my personal faith relationship with him. God's continued blessing on all your vocations, Pastor Baker and Wes Reimnitz. And then the email is signed. Now, what is she talking about? This knowledge. Pastor Reimnitz, in fact, when I talked to him about I'd like to do a program on knowing God, what he was able to do is send me all the Bible passages where the word know appears. There were over 900 of them. It was, I don't know, 17 pages long. And what we discovered is that the word no has a number of meanings. It just doesn't mean knowing a person. Like somebody may say, oh, 
yeah, I know the president of the United States and give his name. Well, have you ever met him? Have you ever gone out to dinner with him? How well do you really know him? It's kind of like when you go out on a date with someone before you're married, you know the person because you ask them to go out on a date. But you really don't know them until you find out what movies they like to see, what restaurants they like to go to, and so forth. And when you're married, the longer you get to know somebody, the more becomes that personal relationship. She makes a distinction, and we've talked a lot about this, between historic faith and saving faith. Now, when Jesus said to the unbelieving Pharisees, that your father is the devil. They still believed the history of the Bible. They believed in six-day, 24-hour creation. They believed that Israel crossed the Red Sea. They believed all the miracles of the Old Testament. But they did not have a faith relationship, knowing who Jesus Christ was. In fact, I would go so far to say that even the disciples, though they had faith that Jesus was the Messiah, as Peter said, they did not understand fully the ramifications of that knowledge. So they knew Jesus. They walked around with him for three years. But when he got crucified, the disciples, except for John, fled into an upper room for fear of the Jews. Why did they do that? Because they hadn't realized the true meaning of Jesus Christ, his true mission. And we're going to talk about that when we get into the next email. But at this point, the disciples needed to hear what his true mission was. Because when he told them he was going to Jerusalem in order to be killed, and even though he said, and rise three days later, it appeared that the disciples didn't hear the three days later resurrection, but instead heard he was going to be killed. Very few people recognize that. Now, some did, like those who were in the temple that talked about Jesus being the Savior of the world. And Anna was a prophetess, and she spoke about that. But even Mary, she had to ponder these things in her heart because she wasn't fully knowledgeable about the work of her son. So there were times when Jesus had to kind of correct her, like when he stayed back at the temple, and he said, why were you looking for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Which, of course, was the temple. This distinction between historic knowledge and faith knowledge needs to be understood when sermons are preached. 
you can hear a lot of sermons that simply talk about the history of the Bible. Like you can have a whole sermon about David falling into sin with Bathsheba. Now, what was the point of that? Why did God have that be put in the scripture? On the road to Emmaus, Jesus had told the disciples that all of the Old Testament was about him. And he began to explain to them the necessity not only of his resurrection, but also of his crucifixion. And it says, before they recognized him, their hearts leaped within them for joy. This is a movement from a faith that is on the milk of the word to the meat of the word. That's why we have our youth and adults who are new to Christianity or not knowing that much, why they come to catechism class. Because this is kind of a road that Jesus did with the two disciples of Emmaus in bringing them up to date as to a faith relationship rather than just historic knowledge of the scripture. And for the disciples, it took almost past the time of the resurrection to Pentecost before they understood the true message of Jesus Christ. So our task, for example, when parents maybe after dinner, read a Bible story to the children, it's not sufficient to just give them the information about like David with Bathsheba. You now need to give the application and tie it to Jesus Christ. Well, how's that tied in that historic true story of David and Bathsheba? When Nathan the prophet comes to David, he gives him a story about a man who had a little lamb that was his pet, but the owner of the property took that lamb and slaughtered it to feed a guest he had. Well, David was very angry, and he said, bring that man to me, and I will put him to death. And Nathan then said to David, thou art the man, because he had stolen Bathsheba from her husband and all his possessions. What did David do then? He said, I have sinned against the Lord. Remember Nathan's response? Your sin is forgiven. You will not die eternally. Now, where did Nathan get that? How can anybody say to somebody else that you will not die eternally? When I drive Uber and we get into theological questions with passengers, that's one of their biggest questions. What's going to happen to me when I die? And the answer is something they're unaware of. They never think they've done enough good works to get to heaven. So they're worried about their salvation. Nathan 
realize that in his repentance, he was really doing the work that John the Baptizer was all about, namely a baptism of repentance in preparation for the forgiveness of sins. So that's what Nathan heard from David, and that's why he told David, you will not die eternally. And David's faith became a saving faith, not just a faith of knowledge. In fact, in talking about the child that he and Bathsheba had that died, what did David say about the child? He will not return to me, but I will be going to him. Tremendous verse there about God's fact that there is life after death. I mean, it's found throughout the Old Testament. Remember, Job says, with my own eyes, I will see my Redeemer. In other words, throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, saving faith believes that Jesus died for me, for the whole world. My sins have been paid for. The righteousness of Christ has been given to me. And so we thank this email for pointing out once more that true faith involves a personal faith relationship. That's true knowledge of God, not just an intellectual recognition that there is a God. Take a look at every other religion in the world outside of Christianity that has a personal God. See, they they know there's a God, but they have no understanding of his true mission. And that was so clear with the unbelieving Pharisees and religious leaders of Jesus' day that they could not countenance the fact that it was Jesus who was the Messiah. This made no sense. He was the son of a carpenter from Nazareth. So, moving people to a proper knowledge of God means to apply the Bible verses to their life, to show them how Jesus is everywhere in the Bible, and particularly because of your baptism, you are saved and heaven is your home. All right, another email. Pastor Baker. I'm writing to ask if you could discuss briefly the law gospel distinctions of Matthew 4.17. I told my son I would call on his behalf because my schedule is more flexible. But on second thought, sending an email seemed to be a better avenue to get in touch with you and leave a message. So he's asking what is the law and gospel distinctions of Matthew 4:17? Well, let me begin by reading Matthew 4, verse 17. What Jesus is saying in Matthew 4:17, from that time 
Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven, is at hand. Now, this is the beginning of the ministry of Jesus. It says in verse 13 that leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. And then verse 17, from that time Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, the email writer and his son would like to know, what is the law and gospel distinction of this verse? Scripture interprets scripture. So what we need to do is see if Jesus ever says that again. And in fact, in the gospel according to St. Mark, the very first chapter, Jesus is baptized. Then he goes through the temptation. John the baptizer is put to death by Herod. And here's what verse 14 and following says, Mark chapter 1. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, if you take a look at the term kingdom of God, what do we normally think of somebody's kingdom? That would mean somebody's place. Like, what's the kingdom of Queen Elizabeth? That would be England. And she's queen over that. So we think of kingdom as a place. But that's not really what scripture means. A better translation than kingdom of God is really God's rule over his people. And where does that occur? that occurs in the Holy Christian Church. Now, I'm sure the letter writer and his son are a little confused when Jesus says that the message of the gospel is to repent and believe in the gospel. Isn't repentance a work that we do? I can understand people thinking that. But repentance is also a work that comes to us through the Holy Spirit. To repent properly doesn't mean that we are saved, but it alerts us to the fact that we are not saved. To repent of our sins means to be concerned over them and to realize that we have offended God. And there's an attitude that John the baptizer and the apostles want 
when the law is preached and repentance comes about. And that is a fear of God. It, it happened at Pentecost after Peter's sermon telling the listening audience that you have killed the Messiah. They were cut to the heart, it says. That means they were really worried. What can we do? And then Peter didn't tell them what they could do, but what God could do for them. We've talked about this before. Namely, to be baptized is something that happens to them from God, where they receive two gifts, the gift of the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And remember, that is in light of their repentance, their recognition that they don't deserve to go to heaven. So when Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God is at hand, he's really referring to the rule of God coming into the hearts of others. And that would include, remember, as Jesus says to Nicodemus, that you need to be born again. And that being born again comes about by water, but different than John the baptizer. He himself says, I baptize you with water, but the one coming after me, whose shoelaces I'm not worthy to untie, he is going to baptize you with water and the Holy Spirit. This is the rule of God in the hearts of believers, so that until one comes to that saving faith, we talked about that earlier today, the saving faith of having a personal relationship that Jesus Christ has initiated and created, until that occurs, there's no possibility of doing a good work before God. But once that faith occurs where we believe the promises of the gospel, that's saving faith. And what are the promises of the gospel? Well, they're mentioned at the cross, particularly, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. But one of the thieves heard it personally said to him, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus says, you will be with me today in that kingdom. And there's no doubt that the spirit of the thief and the spirit of Jesus went to heaven on Good Friday. We celebrate the resurrection of his body on Easter Sunday. Now that's saving faith to believe that, something the Pharisees did not believe who were unbelievers, and certainly the disciples had a real problem with when Jesus mentioned to them that part of the gospel is that he had come to die. At Christmas, we had a double sign in front of the church I was at for many years, and one of my favorite items to put on at Christmas was that he was born in order to die. 
The wise men recognized that as they brought a gift to Mary of embalming fluid. And those in the temple recognized that. Even Elizabeth, when Mary came to visit her, recognized that. So there definitely was saving faith. But the goal of the church is to increase that faith so it becomes more than a knowledge of Scripture. It becomes a relationship that Jesus Christ has made with you through the waters of baptism and also affirmed through the eating of his body and blood, the Lord's Supper. On the next Law and Gospel, we'll be taking a look at a reading for the following Sunday, and we'll hopefully kind of do the same thing we did with this last email. We'll attempt to apply it, not just interpret it, so that you come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and increase in that saving knowledge. Until then, God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.